I love this time of year. I love September. I love the start of a new church calendar. It's so exciting to me to anticipate what God is going to do in this year for us here at Calvary Church. Last week, Jim began with an introduction into the book of Hebrews by talking about journeys of faith. The idea or the concept that each one of us have an opportunity to go on a journey of faith in order to experience God in new and exciting ways, in order to take a trip with God. This morning, Jim has asked me to share with you my journey of faith. I have now been on staff here at Calvary Church for just over eight years. And it is amazing to me how quickly that eight years has gone and how incredible it has been, what an experience it has been. But this morning, I'd like to share with you how God did it. So let's pray and uh, we will begin. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you that you have brought us to this place to hear from you. And Lord, I pray that as I tell this story and as we look at your word together, that in this story, people would not see me, but that they would see you and how loving and how gracious and how powerful you are and how you desire to move and to act in all of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, before we dig into the story, I'd like to lay down three comments for you first, kind of contextual comments, if you will. The first one is this, that my story is not your story. God works differently in each one of us. God has a different plan. He has a different journey for each one of us to take. So I hope that my story is illustrative for you and will help you in your journey. I also hope that the text that we are going to look at this morning will help you in your journey. But I pray that these stories, mine and the text, will encourage each one of you, like many of your stories have encouraged me to be a more devoted follower of Jesus. Secondly, I am, although we don't always use people's names, this morning I am going to use individuals' names. And I'm going to do that in order to thank them again and hopefully recognize them. And then finally, I want you to know, I want to state, uh, state right up front that the only reason, the only reason that I am up on this platform is because of a gracious and loving God. So, the first time that somebody told me that I was going to be a pastor was while I was in college. I was at Wheaton College, and one of my friends came up to me, and he said, Tom, God told me that someday you are going to be a pastor. I responded, God told me that you are crazy. <laughs> there was nothing further from my mind. I was not going to be a pastor. I was, there was no chance that that was the path for me. It's kind of ironic because, interestingly, his name is Tom Stoner, and actually, I thought he was stoned at the time that he told me that he thought I was going to be a pastor. Now, look, I didn't actually think he was stoned, and he was not actually stoned. But from that point, Tom had planted a seed in my mind. 
Now, I couldn't completely discard Tom's comment because although that kind of stuff happens at Wheaton College, it's a Christian school, that kind of stuff happens, I knew Tom. And I knew Tom didn't just say things. I knew he was legit. I knew he was a devoted follower of Jesus. So I couldn't get that idea out of my mind. But me, a pastor, there was nothing further from my mind. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew who I wanted to be. And I was going to make myself a success. And for me, being a success meant I was going to go out into the world and I was going to make a lot of money. Now, having said that, I want you to know I was a Christian. I received Jesus at a young age. I asked him to forgive me of my sins. I received him into my heart. I grew up right here at Calvary Church. Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, Sunday evenings, youth group. I even was in the children's choir a few times, just a few times, not very many. I think I might have been the only person they've ever kicked out. I was, I mean, I was a follower of Jesus. I was a Christian. But there was nothing further from my mind than the idea of becoming a pastor, of the idea of giving my life completely and utterly to full-time ministry. So I graduate from Wheaton College, and I graduate from Wheaton College with the intent to take on the world. And the first job I take, I go off into the investment world, and I'm going to counsel people, and I'm going to sell investments, and I am going to make my money. But after only a few years, I failed. And I failed miserably. Now, some of the failure was a result of the position or the place that I was put, but much of the failure was a result of my own own immaturity. Nonetheless, I failed. And that failure brought on for me a crisis of faith. It brought on for me a crisis in determining what is it, God, that you have next for me? What is it, God, that you want me to do next? And I talked to people. I talked to lots of people. I sought counsel from godly people. In fact, because I couldn't get Tom's prophecy out of my mind, I came here to church and I met with Ed Dobson and I asked Ed and talked to Ed about ministry, about what that would look like. And eventually, it came down to making a decision between going to seminary or going to law school. And to make a very long story short, every door opened up seemed to open up for law school, and very few doors opened up for me to go to seminary. So I went to law school, and it did fairly well in law school, and got out of law school, and ended up living here in Grand Rapids. And when we got here, and we started to settle down, and I started to work, Jen, my wife Jen and I, began serving here at Calvary Church. We began serving here in the high school department, and it was awesome. It was great. Jen and I had the opportunity to do this ministry together. We had the opportunity to work with the people that were in the high school department, with the young people that were in the high school. I mean, it was just a great experience. And I got the opportunity to teach, and I loved the opportunity to teach. And there, people started to say to me, Tom, why is it that you practice law and are in full-time ministry? And I really didn't have an answer for them. Well, after a number of years of serving in the high school ministry, Jen and I were asked to start a young married Sunday school class with the Azcools and the Krauses. And so we said, yes, it seems like God's leading in that direction. So we started a young married Sunday school class with the Azcools and the Krauses. And again, in that setting, we had this great opportunity to serve, to get to know some new people, to be able to grow and do life with them. And I also got the opportunity to do some teaching. And I loved the teaching aspect of it. I loved the pastoring aspect of it. And again, 
people started to come and say, Tom, why are you practicing law? Why aren't you a pastor? And again, it starts to go through my mind and I start to think about this more and more. And after a while of teaching that class, a young pastor comes to Calvary Church from Dallas Seminary. Jim and Lisa Samra come back from Dallas Seminary. Jim becomes a pastor here on staff at Calvary. And Jim and Lisa start attending the Young Married Sunday School class that I'm teaching. Yeah, now that brings up a lot. Yeah, you get it, don't you? <laughs> I mean, that's a little overwhelming. Jim comes into the class, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, you got to be kidding me. Now I actually have to prepare. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so we start doing the class, and Jim's in the class, and it's, it's shortly after Jim and Lisa come to the class, Jim says to me, hey, would you like to study together? I'm like, well, what does that mean? He goes, well, you and I would get together on a weekly basis. I'll give you a reading assignment, and then we'll get together and talk about it. And I said, yeah, let's do that. So Jim would give me reading assignments, and you may not want to do that because he gives thick reading assignments. He also offered, this is great, he offered, he said, hey, if you want to take tests or write papers, I'll be happy to read them and grade them for you. <laughs> no, man, thanks, that's okay. Appreciate that offer, though. But Jim and I, he'd give me an assignment, and I would do the assignment reading, and then we'd come together, and for two or three hours every week, we'd talk about the reading that he'd assign. After a few months of that, we come into our meeting. We typically met at Bob Evans out on Walker Avenue. We come into the meeting and Jim says, uh, says, you're called to ministry. I'm like, what? He goes, you're called to ministry. He goes, I've watched you preach or teach. He said, I've watched you interact with the people. He said, I've done this studying with you. He goes, look, normal people don't do this stuff. <laughs> I, I said, thanks, I think. Um, and so he says, you're called to ministry. And I'm saying, Jim, what do I do with that? At the time, I'm in my early to mid-30s. I'm like, what, what do I do with that, man? I got a job. I got kids. I got a house. I have a mortgage. I have a wife that didn't sign up for a ministry gig. I, I, what do I do with this? He says, you know what, Tom? If you trust God, he'll take care of it. If you trust God, he'll take care of it. I'm like, Jim, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know what to say. Then a few weeks later, we're meeting, and he says, can I ask you a question? Now, a word to the wise on this one. If Jim says to you, can I ask you a question, you might just want to say no right off the bat. <laughs> but me being a little slow, I'm like, sure, hey, man, ask me a question. He said, if, if it wasn't for money, what would you be doing? I immediately knew the answer in my heart. If it wasn't for money, I would have been in full-time ministry. I didn't tell them, him that, though. I told him it was none of his business, and I'm not going to answer his question. That was before he was my boss. Now I don't talk to him like that. <laughs> then I could, though. I said, Jim, that's none of your business. I don't know. And he just smiled at me, and we went on, we went on uh, with our study. Well, Jim and Lisa end up moving to England to study. Jen and I are living life here in Grand Rapids, and over time... Practicing law gets more and more miserable. I'm hating it. I'm traveling all the time. I'm working ungodly hours. It's just crazy. No time with my family. No time here at church. No, I got nothing. I got law, but I got nothing else. And it's getting miserable, and I'm wondering, okay, God, what are you doing? What do you want from me? And my good friend Dave Bruss calls me. 
Dave Russ is one of my best friends in the world. I've known him. We grew up here at Calvary Church together. We went to junior high and high school together. His mom, Evie, sang in the choir this morning. In first service, she was sitting right over there. Dave calls me and says, hey, I know you're miserable. We talk all the time. I know you're miserable. I got an idea. Why don't you come work with me back in the investment business? Why don't you come work with me and we'll have a great time? We'll get to work together every day. And Dave was incredibly generous. He split his business with me, no cost to me, just the opportunity to work with me, I guess. And so we did this together, and it was a great time. I, was, I had the opportunity to work with a great friend, and we did this work, and we had fun, but an incredible byproduct, a good byproduct of this new job was that I had more time. I didn't have to travel anymore, so I had all this time to spend with my family and to spend here at Calvary Church serving in different areas. So people started to ask me, hey, you got time, why don't you serve on this committee? And I hate committees, but I couldn't say no, so I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll serve on the committee. So I go serve on the committee, and I end up liking serving on the committee. That's crazy for me, trust me. Then they say, hey, would you be interested in becoming an elder? And I'm selected to be an elder. And I didn't think I'd like that either, but God had appointed me to be an elder for that period of time, and I'm like, wow, this is incredible stuff happens at this church and I get to be a part of it and it was an awesome experience being able to serve here at Calvary. Well, after a number of years doing that, Dave and I began to have problems with our management, the management we were working for and things began to deteriorate and they began to deteriorate at the end kind of rapidly and again, I'm, I'm starting, I'm searching and I'm saying, God, what, what are you, what, what's, what's happening here? You know, investment business first and I fail, mostly because of me. Then I go into law and that doesn't work out. You have me now back in investments. What is it next? What is it that you want me to do? What is it, God? Just tell me. Just let me know what you want me to do. And so in November of 2005, one of the steps that I took is I called up Jim Carlson. And Jim was a pastor here at Calvary Church at the time, a man I respected then and a man I respect to this day. I mean... For those of you that know Jim, you're nodding your heads. For the rest of you, man, he's just a godly man. So in November of 2005, I meet with Jim and I sit down with Jim. Now, you have to know that I grew up just wanting to be like my dad. I just wanted to be my dad. So Jim and I had this conversation about serving God and what that looked like in light of my desire to be like my dad. And Jim made this comment to me. He said to me, Tommy, he said, you will be like your dad when you use the gifts and the talents that God has given you, just like your dad has used the gifts and the talents that God has given him. I'm thinking, wow, that's pretty simple. But how profound. God had given me different gifts and talents than he had given to my dad. dad my dad was using his gifts and talents, but I had different gifts and talents than my dad did. So being like my dad would be to use the gifts and the talents that God had given me. And then Jim said to me, he said, Tommy, when, when are you going to pursue the gifts and the passions that God has given you? Well, in January of 2006, Jim and Lisa were now back at Calvary Church, and Jim was serving as kind of an, he was the associate pastor serving as interim. He was preaching. And we had been talking about ministry, Jim and I, Jim Samra and I. And mostly we've been talking about his ministry. But in January of 2006, we began talking about me and ministry. 
What would ministry look like for me? What would it look like for me to go into full-time ministry and become a pastor? And so Jim and I had deep conversations and multiple conversations about that. And I remember one in particular. Jim and I had a conversation, and we were right out here in a car in the back of church, right behind the J entrance. And Jim and I are having this conversation. Now remember, I'm searching. I'm asking God, God, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that you would have for me next? This thing seems to be winding down. I don't know what's next. So Jim and I are in this conversation, and Jim says to me, uh, I have a question for you. I'm like, oh, boy. Here it comes. Got a question for you. He says, do you really want to know what God has for you next? Like, yep. Do you want to know what God wants you to do? Do you want to know what his will for your life is? Like, yep, 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 I do. He says, then answer me this. Are you willing to stuff envelopes for God for the rest of your life if he asks you to? Are you willing to stuff envelopes for the rest of your life if that's what God asks you to do? Now, look, at I know the Christian answer to that question. I know that answer, but that's not what I'm thinking inside. And that's not what I tell Jim. I'm like, come on, Jim. Really? Stuff envelopes for God for the rest of my life? Why would God have me stuff envelopes for the rest of my life for him? Now, that's the height of arrogance, and hopefully I've learned since then, but that's what I was feeling. Why would God have me stuff envelopes? Jim says to me, if you really want to know what God wants for you, if you really want him to speak to you, you have to be willing to do whatever he asks you to do. And if you're not willing to do whatever he asks you to do, I don't think he's going to tell you what he wants you to do. And then he said, you have to remember this. God doesn't need you. You need God. <laughs> I'm like, man. And then he says, can I rephrase the question for you? And I said, yep, please. <laughs> Can't even move now. Are you willing to stuff envelopes for God for the rest of your life if it would mean it would save your children. I was like, yeah. Immediately I said, yes. I promise you I will stuff envelopes beginning this afternoon for the rest of my life if it means it will save my children. Jim said, have you ever thought that this decision is that important? that your children are going to see whether you chose God or whether you chose the world and that they are going to respond accordingly. Now, I'd like to tell you that I folded right away, but I'm a little slow and my desire for money was great. And so the struggle continued. And I have to be honest, to tell you the truth, I was really, really scared. I didn't know how God would work this out. I didn't know how God could work this out. I was overwhelmed with the idea of going into full-time ministry, the idea of becoming a pastor. 
But God continued to move and God continued to work in those months of January, February, and March of 2006, months that I call crazy and cool and scary. Crazy and cool because God showed up all the time. Scary because I was pretty weak and I did not know what he would have and I didn't know if I could do it. In March of 2006, my wife Jen and I are having a lunch with some good friends of ours, Craig and Faith Welch. And we're explaining the story, we're explaining what is happening on our journey to Craig and Faith Welch. And after we're done, Craig stops and he kind of pauses, he kind of looks at me and he says, Tom, he says, when are you going to trust God and step out of the boat? I'm like, well, what do you mean? What are you saying? He said, no, seriously. Like Peter, when are you going to trust God and just step out of the boat? Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 is found on page 796 in the Bible that the church provides. We're going to be looking primarily at verses 22 through 32. Actually, more than primarily, that's all we're going to be looking at. Matthew 14, 22 through 32. This is the story that my friend Craig was referring to when he asked me, when are you going to just step out of the boat? I'm going to read the story for us. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he, Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Peter is in the boat with the other disciples. He's in a boat not much bigger than this boat. And he and the disciples are in this boat, and they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is just a very large lake. It's about 13 miles from top to bottom and about 8 miles from east to west. And it's just a large lake, but it's a large lake that when the winds blow through various valleys through the mountains, the waves get high. There are about six to eight foot waves can be on this lake. Now, we don't know here whether the waves are six to eight feet, but the text says that the disciples' boat was buffeted by the waves. So think about this with me. These disciples, they're in the boat. It's night. The waves are around them. They're big waves. There's lots of wind. It's rough. It's wavy. It's scary. And they see something coming at them. And first they think whatever's coming at them is a ghost. But then they realize that it's not a ghost, that it's actually Jesus coming at them. And Jesus cries out. He tells them, no, no, it's not a ghost. It's me. 
It's Jesus. I'm coming out to you. Now think about this for me one minute. He's walking on water towards them. I mean, we read this story, and a lot of times we've read it so many times, it like goes through our heads. Think, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus walks on water. No, he's walking on water in the middle of the night towards these guys in a rough, wavy water, and he's coming at them in the boat. And Peter calls out, and he says, Lord, man, if it's really you, tell me to come out to you. And Jesus says, yeah, come on, come on out to me. So Peter, he gets out of the boat. He gets out of the boat and he starts walking on water towards Jesus, but he gets out and he realizes, he goes, man, I'm walking on water. And he starts to sink. And Jesus, being Jesus, reaches down, grabs, him hand, grabs his hand, pulls him up, and saves him. You think this is a journey of faith? What a journey of faith. Peter's in the boat. Jesus calls him out of the boat. He sinks. Jesus grabs him. Jesus saves him. Peter has this incredible opportunity to go on this journey of faith, this incredible opportunity to get closer to Jesus by stepping out of the boat and walking on water. And just like Peter, each one of us has the opportunity to go on a journey of faith. We have an opportunity to step out of the boat, to walk on water, to get closer to Jesus. We have this opportunity for an incredible journey. And for you, it may be taking a new role. It may be taking a new job. It may be moving to a new location. It may be moving to a new house. It may be going overseas and doing something that God has called you to do that other people are questioning. Why in the world would they do that? But you know because God is calling you. God is calling you to get out of the boat. It may be that you are being called to tell somebody you know about Jesus and who he is. It may be that you are going on a journey of disease and sickness yourself or with somebody else. It may be that that journey is towards death, but Jesus is calling you to get out of the boat and come towards him. Now, throughout my journey and in looking at this study of Peter walking on water, there are four lessons that I've learned about journeys of faith. And I want to say they're not only four lessons I've learned but there are four lessons that I continue to learn that we all probably need to learn over and over again. The first is that going on a journey of faith requires sacrifice. Going on a journey of faith requires sacrifice. Now think about this with me for a minute. These disciples, they're all in this boat. And relative to what's around them, they are actually in a comfortable place. They are in a boat. Yeah, there's waves, there's wind, but the boat is relatively comfortable. It is relatively safe. They are used to this environment. They would rather be here than out there. It is really, really scary out there, and seemingly everything is really, really good in here, right? Because this is comfortable. This is what they're used to. And just like the disciples, you and I like to be in comfortable places. We like to sit within the easy. We like things that don't challenge us too much. We like to be safe. But look at what Jesus says in verse 29. Jesus himself says, come. Jesus himself says, get out of the boat. 
He says you can't stay in the boat. You can't stay where it's comfortable. You can't stay where it's easy. You can't stay where you think things are going to be the best for you. So you have to get out of the boat. You have to sacrifice something. You have to sacrifice what's in there to come out here. And in my journey, there were numerous times where I was being called to step out of the boat, where I was being called to sacrifice. In people that I talked to, hearing that still, small voice in my head through Scripture, numerous times I'm being called to step out of the boat, to sacrifice what I know, to move towards something else. One time I'm standing in the back of church, I'm standing right back there at the back of that aisle because I sit right down there in the service usually, and I'm standing in the back of the aisle, and uh, Ginny Hoffman comes up to me, and Ginny tasks me on the shoulder. Now, I have known Ginny Hoffman all of my life. In fact, Ginny tells me that she has changed my diapers, which, yes, is quite awkward. Um, <laughs> but Ginny comes up to me. She taps me on the shoulder. I turn around to Ginny and say, hey, Ginny, what's up? She says, you know what? I think you're going to be a pastor someday. I'm like, Ginny, where, where did that come from? I don't know. I just thought I'd tell you. Now, if you know Ginny, she's kind of funny. And she says, I mean, I've never heard her say stuff like that, but I'm like, Haha, that's funny. But I can't get that out of my mind. And I walk down and I sit right down here. And for the whole service, I'm thinking to myself, out of the blue, seemingly randomly, Ginny Hoffman just told me that she thinks I'm going to be a pastor someday. What do I do with that? I don't think I heard a word that it was Ed at the time. I don't think I heard a word that Ed was saying. I'm thinking about Ginny Hoffman. But more than that, later that same week, Later that same week, I am on my way to a job interview, and I am driving down 196 towards downtown Grand Rapids. I'm driving down 196, minding my own business, and I'm driving up to College Street, and I'm passing a car on college, and I look over into the car. Now, remember, I am on my way to a job interview. I look over into the car next to me, and guess who's in the car next to me? Ginny Hoffman. <laughs> I'm like, come on. Now, if I had any brains at all, I would never have gone to that job interview. I would have immediately given up whatever I was doing and jumped into full-time ministry. But I wasn't willing yet to sacrifice. You see, God calls us. When he calls us on a journey of faith, he asks us to sacrifice. He asks us to get out of the boat. And for me, that meant I had to give up my dreams. I had to give up my plans. I had to give up who I thought I was going to be. I had to give up the money. Now, I said early that those things may not be the journey that God is asking you to go on, but there is something that you will have to sacrifice to go on the journey. There is something that you are going to have to give up to go on a journey of faith. I do not know what that is, but you probably do. And you are going to have to leave it in the boat. It may be a relationship it may be a job, it may be a house, it may be your comfort, it may be your safety, but you will have to give up something to go on the journey of faith because journeys of faith require sacrifice. Secondly, journeys of faith require trust. Journeys of faith require that we trust God. And let me tell you, trust is a necessary component because the sacrifice is incredibly scary. 
And I promise you, you cannot do the sacrifice alone. You cannot step out of that boat alone unless you trust in God and trust that he is going to take care of you. Now look at we all, for those of us that are Christians, we all pray this prayer of faith. We say to God, God, would you please take over our lives? Would you please come into our hearts? I want to receive Jesus. I want him to forgive me of my sins so that I can have eternal life with him, so that I can go to heaven someday. But I'm telling you, the Christian walk is more than praying a prayer and asking to receive Jesus into your heart so that you can go to heaven. The Christian life is placing all of your trust in Jesus Christ for all of your real life in order that he makes all of the decisions in your life, in order that he is the one that leads and guides you through life, and that you recognize that he is adequate for every need and circumstance you will ever face. That is the type of trust that you need to place in Jesus. And you place that trust in him, knowing that when you sacrifice and get out of the boat, you are trusting him and you know that he is going to be there for you. There's a story about Mother Teresa, and it's a story about Mother Teresa and the ethicist John Cavanaugh. The ethicist John Cavanaugh was trying to figure out life. He was trying to figure out what he was going to do with his life, with the later years of his life. So he goes to the house of the dying in Calcutta because he's seeking this clear answer on his life. And on this first morning at the house of the dying, he meets with Mother Teresa, and she asks him, and what can I do for you? Kavanaugh asked her to pray for him. What do you want me to pray for? Mother Teresa asked. Kavanaugh responds, pray that I have clarity. And Mother Teresa responded, I will not do that. When he asked her why, she said, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and must let go of. When Kavanaugh commented that she always seemed to have the clarity he longed for, she laughed and said, I have never had clarity. What I have always had is trust. So I pray that you trust God. You see, so many times as followers of Jesus Christ, we think that we need to have clarity in order to make the decision. And the problem is, is that clarity risks the opportunity that we have to go on a journey of faith with God. You don't need clarity. What you need is trust. You need to sacrifice whatever it is that God has for you in there. You need to step out of the boat and trust and believe that God is going to take care of you. You see, we can say that we trust him all day, but until you actually act on that trust... It's not really trust. You have to ask. When Jesus says jump out of the boat, you have to jump out of the boat. It's so easy for us to think that we can control things and we can make our decisions and we can take the next steps. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not the way we do it. You need to trust me. Jen was having a a lunch with one of our friends and they were talking about all of this and the friend said this and it's stuck with me for years now. In talking about our decision, the friend said this, only you and God will know whether you're disobedient or not. You can sell everybody else, but you and God will know whether you are disobedient or not. So going on a journey of faith requires that we sacrifice. It requires that we trust. And then look at verse 30. Peter saw the wind He was afraid and began to sink. And then Jesus did something special. Jesus 
demonstrated his grace. Jesus demonstrated his favor to Peter. He reached down and he saved him. He reached down and he pulled him out of the water. The third lesson that I have learned is that you are, when you are on a journey of faith or when you are beginning a journey of faith, when you are on the journey of faith, Jesus will demonstrate to you glimpses of grace. He will give you glimpses of grace to encourage you to start the journey and he will give you glimpses of grace while you are on the journey so that you know that he is with you. It is not easy to step out of the boat. It is not easy to take this step. It is not easy to trust. So God, through Jesus Christ, gives us glimpses of his grace. There will be times of doubt. There will be times of confusion. There will be times of difficulty. But Jesus will give you glimpses of grace and allowing you over and over and over again to make the decision to trust. And I promise you, you will have to do it over and over and over again. One night in March of 2006, remember this is my decision-making time, March of 2006 is what I refer to as the breaking month. I am, I'm laying in bed one night and I am wrestling with God. I know what's on the table. I know that this is the path that Jen and I are going down and that there are some changes that seemingly are coming my way and I don't know what to do because in my head I'm doing the numbers. I know what I'm making, I know what I would be making, and there was a lot of room in between. And I'm thinking to myself, God, I know I have to sacrifice, I know I have to trust, but I don't know if I can do it. And then God showed up with a glimpse of grace. The week before, in God's providence, Jim DeVries, an elder here at Calvary Church, had come up to me and he said, Tommy, I know you're struggling, would you like to meet with me, because I'd like to tell you my story. And I said, Jim, I would love it. So in God's providence, that meeting was after that night, the deepest, darkest night of the soul. I'm driving to Jim DeVries' house. I get to Jim DeVries' house. We get in his house, and he says, let me just tell you my story. And to make a long story short and probably not give it enough credit, Jim says, look, I graduated from the University of Michigan with an engineering degree. I went to work for a man who made me like his son. I became... I became his benefactor. He became my mentor, mentor, and we grew this business together. But after about 10 or 12 years in this incredible assignment that God had given me, Judy and I start to pray about God's next steps for us, and it seems like God is asking us to go into ministry. So he says, I don't know what to do with that. Well, one day he's driving Nikki Cruz, crossing the switchblade, Nikki Cruz. He was a gang member in New York. He comes to Christ. This was years ago. Jim's driving him from a speaking event to the airport. And on the way to the airport, Nikki Cruz turns to Jim DeVries and says, God just told me that you're going to be the executive director of my ministry. And Jim hadn't told him about what Judy and he had been praying about. So Jim says to Nick, Nikki Cruz, he says, I'll pray about it with my wife and I'll let you know. Jim says to me, God convicted us that we needed to go be the executive directors of his ministry. So we did. We moved to North Carolina. We took our three kids. We left this business opportunity. I took a two-thirds pay cut, and we went down to North Carolina. And I want you to know that God was there, and God always provided. And I said to him, I'm like, kind of slow, I said, Jim, I said, that only takes you about 35 years old. What's the rest of your story? He goes, no, Tom. He goes, that's it for today. He goes, that's all God wanted you to know, is that he will provide for you. I hadn't told Jim that I didn't sleep all night wondering 
how I was going to cover that difference. But God knew. I went out in my car and I cried like a baby because God had just given me a glimpse of his grace. He had just told me that he was going to be there to provide for me, and that's what God will do for you. If you step out of the boat and sacrifice, if you demonstrate your trust, I promise you, I promise he will show up and he will give you a glimpse of his grace. He will give you glimpses of his grace and he will encourage you along the way. Which leads us to our final point. And that is Peter did not just get out of this boat to walk on water. Peter got out of the boat to get closer to Jesus. You see, Peter didn't care about walking on the water. He just wanted to get to Jesus. And it's what Jim said last week. You see, our journey is, our destination is never a place. Our destination is always a person. On the journey of faith, the goal, the reward, the blessing is that in the journey, you move closer to God. You get to experience a living and active God who loves you and cares for you and wants the very best for you. But if you don't get out of the boat, if you don't demonstrate the sacrifice, if you don't demonstrate the trust, if you don't experience the glimpses of grace, you do not get the reward and the blessing of knowing God in a new and more exciting way. Always on the journey, there is a blessing and there is a reward. And that blessing and reward is to get to experience God himself. I'm going to close with one last story. It is a blessing that I received as a result of stepping out of the boat. Jen and I had an interview with the elders, and obviously they voted okay because I'm here. We have this interview with the, the interview with the elders, and we met with them. And after the interview with the elders, it's typical that we then come and we, we commission people up here on the platform. And so Jen and I and our family were brought up to the platform on a Sunday morning, and the elders had prayed over us. But before that had happened, one of the elders had come to me, and he wasn't at the meeting. His name's Dan Visser. And Dan Visser came to me, and he said, hey, Tom, I wasn't at the meeting. Would you tell me your story? So I told him my story. And then Dan asked a question that nobody else had asked. He said, how are your kids doing with this? And I said, well, it's interesting you ask. I said, my younger two, my younger two who are eight and six, think this is the greatest thing in the world. Their dad's going to be a pastor. What can be better than that? The 11-year-old, however, is mad, and he's mad at me. He thinks this is the dumbest decision in the world, and he's actually told me it's the dumbest decision in the world. And he was very angry, and he said to me two things. He said, Dad, he said, I'm, I'm very upset because I think people are going to treat me differently. And he said, number two, I think we're going to end up in the poorhouse. <laughs> I said to him, I said, Jeff, I said, here's the deal. I said, I don't know how people are going to treat you. Can't tell you that. I said, I can tell you that your mom and I are not going to treat you any differently. And I said, second, I think things are going to change, Jeff, but I can promise you we're not going to be in the poorhouse because God told us that he's going to take care of us. But I told Dan all this, and Dan said, I'm going to commit. I'm going to pray for your children specifically. And I said, thank you, Dan. So on that Sunday morning, while we're all up here being commissioned, being prayed over by the elders, I was standing about right here. And I stood here for two services, and the elders prayed over us. And then after the second service, Dan Visser came to me and he said, I want you to know, I want you to know that I put my hands on your son and I prayed for him. So in the third service, I was standing up here and I cheated. I opened my eyes <laughs> and Dan and my son were standing right here. 
And I watched Dan with his hands on my son. And he was praying for my son. So I thanked him after the service. And that week, that week my 11-year-old son came to me. And he said, Dad, can we talk? And I said, sure, man, what's up? He said, I need to apologize. <laughs> 11 years old. He said, I need to apologize because I've had a bad attitude. And Dad, it's going to be all right. I know God's going to take care of us. That's the blessing. God moves. God cares. God wants you to experience him in new and exciting ways. He wants you to know that he wants to be intimately involved in your life. He knows you're in the boat. He's calling you out of that boat. You've got to sacrifice. But when you sacrifice, when you demonstrate your trust, he is going to show up with glimpses of grace to encourage you. And I promise you, I promise you, he will bless you. He will reward you with his presence. Now, I know, I know this morning, there are many of you, you've listened to my story, but look at I know you're thinking about your story. I know there are many of you this morning that you're sitting in that boat and it's comfortable. It's really safe, it's easy, it's nice, but God is calling you to get out of the boat. He does not want you to stay there because he wants to introduce himself to you in a new and exciting way. You may be here and you have never given your life to Jesus. And he's calling you, he said, come out, come on. You may be here and you need to take a new job. You may need to sell a house. I don't know. It may be financial. It may be out of generosity. I don't know what he's calling you to do. But he is calling you to get out of the boat. I'm begging you. Make the sacrifice. Trust him. Because I promise you, he will show up in great and incredible ways. And you will get to experience the God of the universe. I'm going to ask Andy to come. And Andy's going to lead us in a song and we're all going to sing along. And I want you to stay seated. I want you to stay seated unless, unless God has been convicting you this morning that you need to step out of the boat. It may be a big step. It may be a small step. I don't care what size it is. But if God is calling you this morning to step out of the boat, the first act is I want you to stand this morning. I want you to stand where you are to declare before God that he is asking you to step out of the boat. I would also invite you, if you feel so inclined, if you need to, you come down here and you stand right here with me. And then after the song's done, after we've sung with Andy, I am going to pray for you. And I am going to pray that God would give you the strength and the courage to go on the journey that he has for you.